The funny thing is I went to law school thinking I would hate it. I went there thinking this is a means to an end. I can do anything hard for three years, then I'm just gonna buckle down and do it. And law school for me was one of the greatest surprises of my life. I absolutely loved it. This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a business leader whose life was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before. Which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org. Welcome to the day that changed everything. I'm Donna Broussard, and here with us today, we have Joan Fortin, who's the CEO of Bernstein Shore, a law firm in Portland, Maine. Welcome, Joan, to the program. Thank you for having me on today, Donna. So according to the latest issue of the Maine Biz Book of Lists, Bernstein Shore is the largest law firm in Maine with, what, uh, over 200 employees Many of them are attorneys. So the day that changed everything for you, we've just come up on your one-year anniversary of being named CEO of Bernstein Shore, the first female CEO of the firm. Um, And it was pretty exciting news last year. And so we wanted to sort of catch up with you to talk about that day that changed everything for you and to see how the first year has gone and what lessons you have learned that you might want to share with our audience about being the new CEO. So before we talk about that, let's talk about how you got there, because I think this is an interesting story. You're a Mainer. Yes. Everybody loves to know that you're a Mainer. You get the credit for being a Mainer. And um, you're a first-generation college graduate. You're the first person in your family to go to college. Congratulations. And um, you. you went to Colby. Right. And then graduate school at UMaine, is that right? Correct. Yep. I, I did. I did. I did do some cyber stalking on you, Joan. So okay. I apologize. Good but job. You did your homework. The question I have for you is why law? Because you were going for a degree in education, is what you got for your master's, right? Your Correct. Your... I worked in higher education before. Right. That. And so, and then you sort of had a change of heart and ended up going to law school and becoming an attorney. What happened that changed your mind that you wanted to be an attorney? So I got a master's degree in higher education administration at UMaine, as you mentioned, and then I was working at Bowdoin College in student services. Just a funny flash forward, my son just started at Bowdoin College this year, so that's been a kind of a fun full circle for me. But I was working in student services, and um, a couple different things happened in pretty quick succession. I started feeling that glass ceiling above me very quickly. And fairly early on, I thought, I'm going to need to get a terminal degree. And I just was not excited about getting a PhD in educational administration. Mm -hmm. I did want to stay in education, but I didn't want that pathway. As you mentioned, I'm a Colby grad, and I was working at Bowdoin. And at that time, both college presidents had JDs, not PhDs. Interesting. So I thought, hmm, I could get a law degree and, and go as high as I want in higher education. And then I'm a big person on having a backup plan. 
Sounds funny yes. to think that law was my backup plan, but but I was thinking that I would stay in higher education. But then I thought if I wanted to make a change, I would have a, I'd have a great backup plan. Basically, mm -hmm. the other thing that happened at that time was I was involved in a lot of different committees on campus, and I it really struck me how many times someone would say in a meeting either I'm not a lawyer, but I think, or I think X but we better check with the lawyer. And I just started, once I started thinking about law school, I realized how many issues we were dealing with implicated the law and it just started to make sense. The funny thing is I went to law school thinking I would hate it. And I, I went there thinking, this is a means to an end. I can do anything hard for three years then I'm just gonna buckle down and do it. And law school for me was one of the greatest surprises of my life. I absolutely loved it. And, and where'd you go to, where did you go to law school? I went to Northeastern University of School of Law in Boston, very non-traditional law school, very liberal law school. And I had a lot of people like me who had advanced degrees and had done other things. So it's a older student body. I loved law school. I met my future husband there and I just really fell in love with the law and never looked back. I didn't even consider going back into higher education. I went straight for the law firm route. And what kind of law did you start to practice when you first got out of law school? I was in our municipal group at the at that time. So I got out of law school and I clerked for the Maine Supreme Court. I, I had come through Bernstein Shore's summer program. So I worked here and got an offer before I got out of law school, clerked. And at the time, I just wanted to work at Bernstein Shore. I'd fallen in love with the firm and I would have done anything they wanted. While I was clerking, I got a letter saying that they wanted me in their municipal group, and it really was a fantastic fit for me. So I worked with municipal officials in small and large towns all over Maine. So I didn't only grow up in rural Maine. I grew up on a dairy farm in rural Maine, and my father was the first selectman in the town of Benton. So wow. it was really neat for me to be working with clients who were people like my dad. They were just citizens who were involved in their communities trying to do their part, their civic part to make their town a better place. And I loved working with them. So Bernstein Shore was the first law firm you joined after law school. And right. you've been there ever since. So how many years is that now? Roughly 24. I've almost been here ever since. I had a quick sojourn to Alaska. Um, I was here for about a year. I left and moved to Alaska for about a year. And then I came straight back to Bernstein Shore. So I've really been at Bernstein most of my career, but not literally all of it. Okay. So 23, 24 years. Yeah. So at what point in your career at Bernstein Shore did you think, hmm, CEO, that's <laughs> the track I'm on? Wait, well, like, where did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was certainly in the later years that, that I thought that concretely. But, you know, it's funny. I, I'm, I, I'm a big believer in having a champion. And I was fortunate enough to have a champion. One of our prior CEOs, Charlie Miller, was a CEO for 10 years. And I worked really closely with him. And he named me as his successor kind of unofficially many, yep. many years ago and would introduce me as the next CEO. And I, I would be embarrassed and say, stop saying that. It was embarrassing. I wasn't yet ready. And when he stepped down, I did, I intentionally did not put my name forward at that time. I didn't feel ready, but he, he saw that in me before I saw it in myself. So what do you think he saw in you? I do think I, I have always been 
a leader, you know, I mean, I do think there are folks who tend to gravitate towards leadership roles. And I did as a kid and kind of at every stage of my life. So I suppose that I have an enormous amount of passion for this law firm and our clients. And, and I think he certainly saw that. And, you know, I was performing well. I think that mattered. So I don't know, some combination of those things, I suppose. So, I mean, there are over a hundred and something attorneys at the firm. So not everybody can be the CEO, right? How, how did you put yourself on that track aside from having Charlie's encouragement and, have, you know, and his vision for you? How did you put yourself on that track? I think there are really two other major components of how I, I got to where I am today. One is more the traditional time, hard work, and working your way up, right? I, I started with Bernstein Shore as a law student. I've been here most of my career. I have worked really hard. I, I developed a good practice and a good client base. I took on leadership roles, you know, kind of the traditional put your time in, I was a practice group leader many, many years ago. I joined the board of directors, I think 11 years prior to becoming CEO. So that's really what I put in the category of put in the time, work hard and work your way up. The other thing I did was once I had an idea that I might wanna become CEO, I got very intentional about putting myself in a position to succeed. The, the first step of this, I really got to give credit to Charlie because he put me in this position. He sent me in 2010, so this is back before I really pictured myself as a CEO. He sent me to a week-long training for lawyers on advanced leadership and law firm management. And I absolutely loved that program and came back kind of evangelical about different ideas that yep. I had learned out there and really tried to help incorporate many of those ideas into how we practice here and how we conduct our business. And then by 2018, at that point, I absolutely wanted this role. So I went back again. I did another week out there. When you say out there, where is out there? Oh, it's in California. It's, we're part of Lex Monday, which is an international affiliation of independent law firms, and they do this training. So it brings lawyers together from all over the globe, literally, and they bring in really high level trainers from all over the globe. And as the name suggests, it focuses on leadership and law firm management. And it's really a deep dive. So I did it once in 2010. And a lot of that stuff was new to me. I was on the firm's board of directors, but hadn't been on there very long. And then by 2018, I'd been on the firm's board of directors around 10 years. And I'd been working very closely with two CEOs and I wanted to be the CEO. So I went back with a very different mindset and um, really just tried to put myself in the position where I would have as many tools and positive experiences as I could. And plus, I'm just really interested in leadership. I read a lot about leadership and law firm management and that sort of thing and just try to make sure that if I did get the opportunity, I would have something to bring to the table. And so what, what is the process? So you said in 2018, you said, okay, I knew then that I wanted to be considered for CEO. And so you put your name in. And what is that process to determine who the CEO is of the company? Well, we don't have a kind of set in writing process. I can tell you what it was this last time. We knew our, our then current CEO had planned to just do it for a specified period of time. So we at the firm knew that we were coming upon a transition 
And so people started thinking about who should it be and who, you know, so there were discussions. But once he announced early in 2019 that he would be stepping down at the end of the year, the board of directors formed a subcommittee to look at the position and then decide, because we have, unlike a lot of law firms, we have a full-time CEO, so I don't practice law anymore. So the board took the opportunity to take a look at the position and decide whether we still want to continue to have a full-time CEO, whether we want to change a position in any way, and to figure out how we wanted to conduct the process of filling the position. So as you can imagine, I did not serve on that subcommittee. And, <laughs> and I said at that very meeting, I am not going to serve because I would like to put my name in. And so then the way the process worked out, we had, in the end, we had two candidates who were interested. And by April, yeah, I was elected in April of 2019. So one of the things we had to do was make a presentation to the shareholders. And I, I forget what the exact questions were, but basically, why do you want the position? Why do you think you'd be good at it? What, you know, some of those. Yep. And um, we both made presentations to the shareholders and then the board took a vote and made a recommendation to the shareholders. And then there was a vote of the shareholders. So all that was done by last April. So, well, April, 2019. And then that gave me time to transition with a former CEO. So then January 1st, 2020, you, you took the reins as it were and became the CEO. The day that changed everything for Joan Forden was that day. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about what that was like being named the CEO um, and what your first year has been like and we'll be right back after this message from our sponsor this is not business as usual now more than ever the norway savings business lending team is here to help make sure you're still able to do what you do but let's face it this is not an easy time we will get through it together it's a great comfort seeing the business community in maine rallying around one another it's our job to rally around you Norway Savings. Live your life in color. It was a change. We're a 115-year-old law firm, and it was the first woman. So getting there was more helping people get comfortable with me as the leader. But once I was there, I felt like I had complete support from my partners and the board. Welcome back. It's Donna Broussard, and I'm here with Joan Fortin from Bernstein Shore talking about the day that changed everything, the day that she was named CEO of Bernstein Shore on January 1st, 2020. Now, my understanding is, Joan, that you were also the first female CEO for Bernstein Shore. Is that correct? That's right. So that's kind of, I mean, there are not a lot of female CEOs of law firms, especially large law firms. What did that feel like? Did you feel like there was a lot of extra pressure on you as being the first female? Did you feel like it didn't really matter? What? How did you perceive that? I would say once I got into the position, I didn't feel a lot of pressure about that. Uh, you know, it was a change. We're a 115-year-old law firm and it was the first woman. So getting there was more helping people get comfortable with me as the leader. But once I was there, I felt like I had complete support from my partners and the board. And I didn't, I'm, I, I 
do public speaking on women in the workplace and all that. So I'm certainly aware of gender issues at work. And yet I did not feel like I was carrying that. I just felt strongly that I should just do the job the best way I could. And I did have a lot of support. And so I didn't feel pressure. I didn't feel like, oh boy, I hope I don't mess up because I'm going to make women look bad or anything like that. I wasn't carrying any of that with me. Good. So I'm assuming that, you know, you start off the year, you have plans for the year. I'm sure every year has a strategy and you have, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? So I'm sure that, you know, the, the firm had a, you know, a certain thing, you know, 2020 was going to be the year of whatever. And you had a plan in place to execute, I'm sure. And then of course, you know, COVID happened and, you know, by March we knew, you know, what was hitting the fans. So that upended a lot of companies, not just, you know, I'm sure not just Bernstein Shores and that there it comes in your first year, three months on the job of CEO that that had to be something that was a big gulp, I'm sure. How did that feel? Boy, there's so many ways I could answer that. The, the first thing I'll say is when it first started unfolding, if we can try to remember what life was like back in February and early March, right? You take one day at a time and one development at a time. And so when it first started unfolding, of course, I didn't, it wasn't yet a global pandemic. I didn't yet know how bad it would be and just kind of took it one day at a time. And and we've got a really great team here and we were all just in it together. And so there was no point at which I kind of looked up and thought, oh my God, I'm in over my head. So we just kept going. I mean, my whole thing all along, the way we've navigated this crisis, I'm a big team sport person. And my whole thing all along has been, we are in this together. We're in this boat. Let's just keep everybody rowing hard and rowing forward and get through this together. And that's really what we've done. So I, at no point did I take this lightly, but at no point did I panic either. Yeah, I could see how that was 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 there. But think, can I just yeah. do you mind if I just share something along those lines? Because getting ready for today, I was trying to remember what was I thinking about back in January of 2020, and I gave an address to all of our lawyers. And I, you know, I won't tell you the whole plan I laid out, but interestingly, one of the things I talked about back in January 2020 was innovation and the need for our firm to embrace technology and to focus on efficiency. And then lo and behold, <laughs> boy, did we ever do that. Wow. Yeah. Crystal ball, you were reading yeah. the you were reading the tea leaves, John. Yeah. That's awesome. And the other thing that in that same address, I I talked about the importance of communication and open, transparent, and compassionate communication and how I, I said the service industry is a team sport and we're in this together, and that I want us to work together to better serve our clients in our communities. And then again, pandemic happened and that it, we, it, this pandemic has bonded my firm unlike anything I've ever seen. And if we've done one thing, it's been to come together to serve our communities and serve our clients. And so again, it's, boy, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that we could have all accomplished so, that to that degree. To, to me, it says that your leadership style lent itself well to managing through this pandemic. In other words, if you had a different leadership style and you might not have yeah, weathered I, it as well as you guys did. I do think that's true. I yeah. think that's true. So uh, the plans that you had for specific things that you wanted to do with the firm obviously had to have changed with COVID and you've had to, as every company has had, and I hate to use this word again, but pivot 
on a lot of areas, right? Right. What were the, some of the things you had to, you know, say, we can't do that now, but what are some of the new things that you had to pick up that you didn't expect you would have to do? One of the things that I was really excited to dive into in January of 2020 was strategic planning. And our firm does have a strategic plan and I've been involved in, in drafting and implementing our prior strategic plans. Um, but that excites me. And so in January and in February, I was talking with the board about strategic planning. And then when the crisis happened, then you go into crisis management. And right. so, so much of 2020 was crisis management, because if you think back to what we've all been through, there was the initial crisis. And then we had what I think of as the kind of racial justice crisis, which which was, a, you know, took up a lot of our time and attention and focus and effort through the latter part of 2020. And then really the third crisis throughout all of that, I think of as the childcare crisis. We have a lot of working parents. And even though we all adjusted to working from home, those of us with small children are still, still in that kind of prolonged crisis. So any rate, where I'm going with that is the, the kind of really big ticket strategic planning that I was really excited to dive into had, had to go on hold while we really focused on problem solving, both on the technology side, really diving into racial justice as a firm, which we've done, and focusing on childcare and some of the other issues. So as we head into 2021, we are still in the pandemic, but I am determined <laughs> to turn our attention to strategic planning. That sounds good. I think everybody's trying to get back to what it was yeah. in 2021. I, I agree with yeah. you there. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to find out you know lessons learned from this year and what what you may have wish you had told yourself back in January, 2020, that uh, you wish you knew then what you know now. And Great. we'll be right back after this message from our sponsors. As the CEO or owner of a small or mid-sized business in Maine, you've got the weight of the world on you. But what if you didn't have to go at it alone? What if you could journey with an elite team of peers who've got your back and an experienced guide who knows the lay of the land? With that level of support, how far could you go? For more than 60 years, Vistage, the world's leading executive coaching and peer advisory organization, has been helping leaders reach new heights. Learn more at Vistage.com. That's V-I-S-T-A-G-E.com. For me, if you take care of your people, the rest takes care of itself. I really try to make sure people know that we believe in them. We try really hard to hire really good people, and then I think it's important to give them the support and the runway they need to be successful. Welcome back. It's Donna Broussard, and I'm here with Joan Fortin from Bernstein Shore, the new CEO, who's talking about the day that changed everything when she became CEO in, on January 1st, 2020. So a year has passed, and you've weathered the storm, as it were, and you are now in your second year as CEO of Bernstein Shore. So what did we learn from this, Joan? What advice would you give other new leaders, other new people who are stepping into leadership roles, whether they're in the middle of a pandemic or not, what advice would you give people now that you've you know, had this position for you know, over a year now? I'm going to rephrase how I answer it because I don't like giving other people advice necessarily, but I'll tell you what I learned and, okay. and in case this is helpful for others. 
I am very focused on, on the human element of what we do. I'm very focused on people and relationships and communication. And when I look back over what we have weathered and what we've accomplished this year, I really feel like the most important thing that we did was to take care of our people. And when I say we, you know, nobody acts alone. I've got a really terrific board and a, and a superstar COO who I worked very closely with. So that kind of core leadership team, and we were very focused on taking care of our people, keeping everyone united, and supporting them through this crisis. I mentioned uh, before the break about parents. That's a easy example. We have some people who were just working night and day, and we had other people maybe on that same team who had really young children at home and just weren't able to log the same hours. We didn't make the first set the superstars and you know denigrate the, the folks who couldn't log as many hours. So that's just one example of many. A lot of people went through a lot this year, but we really focused on teamwork. We're in this together. We support each other. And I think, I mean, for me, if you take care of your people, the rest takes care of itself. I really try to make sure people know that we believe in them. We, we try really hard to hire really good people. And then I think it's important to give them the support and the runway they need to be successful and without um, trying to micromanage what that looks like uh, because people get much more creative and do really cool and exciting things if you give them a little bit of room. So when I think back, that to me is the biggest thing by a long shot. I think our firm is more united than it's been in the 20 plus years that I've been here. I think people have come up with really, really creative solutions to different problems. And part of that is we just tried to make sure everyone felt as safe and secure as they could under the circumstances and knew that we were going to support them and that we're all in this together. And um, that, I think, was our superpower for getting through 2020. Yep, sounds like it. Now that you've been a CEO for a year, was there something that surprised you? Uh, about either about yourself or about the role that you didn't expect? One was the trust that the firm really invested in me from the beginning of this crisis. On, I will never, ever forget March 13th. I read an article very early in the morning. I forwarded it to my kind of core incident management team. And I said, please read this article and be prepared to talk with me at 10 because I had made up my mind we were going remote that day and I wanted to get their input. They agreed. I called the board meeting. They agreed, pulled the practice group, you know, and everybody went along with it. And that was before other people in town had yet publicly pulled the plug. I had an epiphany and I felt like it was a life-saving mission. I thought we have got to do this to try to help save lives. And the firm followed me quickly. And a little while later, one of my board members said, you know, I wouldn't have made that call and I wasn't so sure you were making the right call, but I was willing to go along with you. And that said a lot. Um, and of course, as it turns out, it was the right thing to do. And I'm really proud of us for doing it. So looking back on that a little while later and realizing how quickly people were willing to put their trust in me was a very heartening and pleasant surprise, I would say. The other one, it, which is maybe similar but different, 
I started very early on sending a daily email to our entire firm. So over 200 people every single day, I would send them an email. And sometimes it was very factual on COVID-19 and hand-washing and other times it was very personal reflections. Um, so it was a wide variety. I was surprised at how meaningful that was to people. I would get emails back from people across the firm, always someone different, but always responses. And sometimes senior shareholders saying, these emails keep me going. Someone else said, I share your emails with my family, you know, my mom and my sisters. And I guess the reflection there is that in a crisis, people want to hear from their leaders and they want to hear that their leaders care and that leaders understand what they're going through. And I say that, and it sounds almost like common sense, but it was really surprising to me in a, in a, in a pleasant way. I mean, not shocking, but it mattered to people. And so I kept doing it for a long, long time. I did daily emails well into the summer and then um, dropped down to weekly um, unless something special happens. And it still matters to people. When I send an email out now, I sent one on, on New Year's Eve, kind of reflecting, that was the second anniversary of my dad's death and reflecting on his leadership and what it has meant to me. I, I don't know, I must've gotten 30 responses to that email. Yeah. So that's not overly profound, but it, it, it was interesting and a little bit surprising to, for me to kind of have that epiphany that what I say and that I care enough to reach out really, really matters to people, no matter how senior they are. No, that's a great lesson to learn. I totally, totally understand. One question I have, because I'm I'm sort of a lifelong learner myself, and you talked about going out to California to those training sessions, right, before you became CEO. So what I'm interested in knowing is, is there any one, two, th two things that you learned from that, that you put into practice all the time, that you say, wow, you know, that was a real, you know, aha moment for me to learn. And now that I'm a CEO, I'm putting that into practice. Is there anything like that that you would be willing to share? Well, some of it was just specific to a law firm, right? Like I understand law firm finances and the business of the law better. You know, I started understanding those things better. You don't just intuit, you go to law school, and you don't intuitively understand how to run a business Right. That is a large law firm. So some of it isn't really that exciting for me to share with you and your listeners, but really getting a much deeper dive on the business side of a law firm, that was pivotal. Some of it was leadership and thinking about allies and communication and change management. You know, we change is hard for people and we can just kind of try to run headlong into it and hope people are follow, or you can be a little bit more strategic about bringing people along. Those were concepts that I learned there in particular. Some of the leadership ahas were from outside of that particular class. A friend introduced me to the concept of servant leadership, and that just resonated deeply in my core. And then I heard an Oprah podcast with the CEO of LinkedIn uh, talking about compassionate leadership. And again, that just resonated so deeply in my core. And so even though I've been to numerous leadership courses over time, I really feel like what I've read and heard about 
servant leadership and compassionate leadership is really resonates much more with me. And that's what I actively try to carry forward. And, and I try to talk about it. So I, I want my partners to know I'm not just winging it. <laughs> I'm actually trying to think about how to be a good and careful leader. And this is the, the process I'm, I'm using. That sounds good. What's up for 2021 and beyond? How, how is this firm? I mean, the, the firm has adapted and changed and remained together and grown strong. So how, what do things look like in the future, do you think? I am wildly optimistic about our future. I have long thought that we have really, really good lawyers and we have really, really creative people. And if we can get everybody rowing in the same direction and trying to think outside the box, we could just really do great things. You know, I will certainly admit the pandemic was tough on us early on, like it was so many businesses. But by the end of it, we did pivot midway along the way. And I did ask people to start thinking beyond the pandemic and start thinking about what client services, you know, what legal services clients will need that they weren't even thinking about six months ago or now a year ago. And um, we ended up, one of my goals was to grow our top line revenue. And by the end of the year, we actually did that in a pandemic. But it's that kind of entrepreneurial, creative thinking, strategic, visionary thinking that I am super excited about for this year. Because I continue to think we have really great people who are super creative. And now they're more unified than ever. They're more collaborative than ever. We obviously still need to get through this pandemic. But I I think the sky's the limit. It's super exciting to think what we can do as we um, get on the other side of this thing. The Day That Changed Everything is a production of Maine Biz. Find out more about this podcast and other Maine Biz media products at mainebiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. The Maine Biz podcast team includes Donna Broussard, Allison Nason, Renee Cordes, Maureen Milliken, Will Hall, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedanka. Logo and marketing designer is Matt Selva. Subscribe at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Copyright 2021.